Thank you, Ron. What a rich time we've had. Worshiping our great God. Declaring his word over us. Being under the authority of God's word. And uh, it's good to see some new faces, old faces. Not that you're old, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> it's great to be here. Well, um, hey, Jude. Ever heard that? Hey, Jude. Don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to letter into your heart, and then you can start to make it better. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go and get her. The minute you let her under your skin, then you begin to make it better. And anytime you feel the pain, hey, Jude, refrain. Don't carry the world on your shoulders. For well you know that it is a fool who plays it cool by making his world a little colder. Who wrote those lyrics? The Beatles. Now, I hope that the rest of this sermon, you're not going to be doing the rest of that song. Na-na-na-na, right? <laughs> hey, Jude. You're right, Paul McCartney wrote it, but maybe you don't know why he wrote it. He wrote it actually on a way to visit, on the way to visit and comfort John Lennon's five-year-old son, Julian, after Lennon separated from his wife, Cynthia, and Julian in order to pursue an affair with the Japanese artist, Yoko Ono. This song was written to comfort a kid whose parents were divorcing. The song tries to encourage hope in the midst of separation. And I'll leave you to judge whether such words bring hope to a kid going through his parents' separation from God and his further family. But today I want to remind us that we have a greater word. It's the word of God. And God wants to speak to us today about those who are being separated from his forever family. We find this in the book of Jude if you would please turn there, it's the second last book in the Bible, and we are beginning the, this series on the original Jude, okay? The original Jude. Before, hey, Jude was ever made, this is the original Jude, the book of Jude, the letter of Jude. Now, Jude, his name means praise in Hebrew. It's short form for Judah, right? And, and so um, it's a reminder that we can worship in the midst of losing people who've gone astray. And maybe you feel that. Maybe there's somebody who's distant from you, who was once walking with you, and you feel that distance. We can still praise God. We can seek him. We can find comfort from his word. The book of Jude aims at persevering in the faith while contending against false teaching and false teachers in the last days. Jude was going to write a letter on the subject of salvation. We're going to read this in just a moment in verse 3. But then he changed his mind. He's like, I got something more important to, to speak about, to, to write to you about. And that was he had learned of some individuals who were departing from the faith. The faith meaning to leave the path of following Jesus and all of the teachings of Jesus and the doctrines of Jesus. That's what the faith means, to leave the faith. And Jude wrote to counter what he saw was taking place. Now, there's another book that usually is accompanied when studying Jude, and that's the book of 2 Peter, because 2 Peter was written first. And 2 Peter warns about apostasies, 
leaving the faith. And he said, this is going to happen. And Jude is starting to write his letter because he's actually seeing it happen. He's seeing people leave the faith. In our day, we hear many people deconstructing their faith, especially after the pandemic. And this is more than just examining and realigning our faith to a more biblical one by shredding off and shedding off um, all the political and cultural influences that maybe we've gathered along the way. It's good to question your faith. And maybe today you find yourself in that, that situation. You're like, I don't know about this. It's okay to question, to seek answers about that. But in deconstructing our faith, there's many people who are actually leading to deconversion of their faith. They're, they're, they're leaving the faith. And we've seen this during the pandemic. My friend Rick Baker, pastor in Oshawa, says it's okay to offload human constructs attached to our faith that are interfering with faith in Christ alone. But some have thought that they can abandon the church. And there's an increasing and soul-damning belief that people think they can follow Jesus without belonging to his bride, the church. You cannot have Jesus without his bride, the church. You can't say, I, I, really, I really like him, but I don't like her. Lori and I were at a wedding last night. Some of you were at this wedding. Can you imagine if we showed up and said, I really like the groom, but I do not like that bride. I don't want anything to do with that bride. That's not going to work, is it? The groom's probably going to be pretty offended by that. Jesus is offended when we try to, to treat his church as somebody that we don't love. People have gotten in the habit of, out of the habit of reading their Bibles or praying or attending church. Maybe those online today, just, or you here today, you're wondering, you know, I'm not sure if church is that important. I want to remind you that it's when you gather together and you're encouraged. Weren't you encouraged today as we read God's word? And you're saying, wow, God spoke through other people today. It's so important. Now, if you want a background to the book of Jude, you can pick one up at the um, Welcome Center afterwards. As you'll find a paper that will be about this size. You can put that in your, in your binder, in your Bible, just to help you understand more about Jude. But I want to remind you that the purpose of Jude is the same purpose of 2 Peter. And it's to warn against teachers of heresy and urge steadfastness in the faith. And today we're going to focus on the first four verses in Jude, in the short letter. And we're going to hopefully, our big prayer has been that we would gain a theology of perseverance. We just went through the book of Job and we tried to gain a theology of suffering. Now we're trying to gain a theology of perseverance. It's like climbing a mountain. That's why all this mountain gear, this is why I'm decked out this way today. Just to remind you that when you're climbing a mountain, sometimes it feels like you're going down when you're actually making progress. And, and we need to continue to persevere, keep our eyes on Jesus as we approach the summit, which will be seeing him face to face. My dad used to say when... He was sick. Don't pray me out of heaven. Don't pray me out of heaven. That's the goal, brothers and sisters, but you can't get there without Jesus. Amen. So let's read Jude chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Please stay with me for the reading of God's word. Again, Jude is the second last book in the Bible. You can Google this. You can see it up on the screen. 
Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master in Lord Jesus Christ. May we never be found in that lot. You may be seated. So this book, once again, is an attempt to arrest apostasy. It's so easy to look out the window and see people leaving the faith. But let's start by looking in the mirror. How do we stop from leaving the faith? And maybe today, I'm believing that maybe some of you who are just on the verge of leaving the faith, this this sermon, God will use to turn you back to him. So how do we stop from leaving the faith? I'm going to give you three blockades to leaving the faith. And these will hopefully help you and I persevere. The first blockade is this truth. Believe that you are loved, called, and kept by God. Believe that you are loved, called, and kept by God. I I tried to shorten that so you remember it more, but I, I, I think you'd be missing out on something that's so pregnant if you didn't understand that you're loved and you're called and you're kept by God. We find this explicitly in the very first words of Jude's letter. To those who are called, beloved, and God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. God is not looking for volunteers. He has already enlisted you. Volunteers tend to unvolunteer themselves. God called you. I'll say that again, and maybe you can say it with me. I am loved, called, and kept by God. Can we all say that? I am loved, called, and kept by God. You need to preach that to yourself each and every day. I'm loved. I'm called. I'm kept by God. This truth will act as a blockade against apostasy and your your heart being led astray. And notice that this is about being loved and called by God And kept by God is about your identity. It's about who you are and whose you are. Less about what you are to do. It's about the relationship that will keep you rather than just keeping the rules. The relationship with Christ is what helps you keep actually the rules. So it motivates you. And this is why it's good to start with the love of God. The love of God is actually a favorite theme in Jude. And I want to remind you, if you haven't been told this today, God loves you. God loves you. Do you get tired of hearing that? I hope not. But God loves you. He's not mad at you. And if you're tempted to leave, think about all the ways that God loves you. I started to think about this. First of all, he created us. He gave us us a body. He gave us a spirit, a soul, a mind, a heart. 
He gave us people in our life that love us. Hopefully that's your family and friends, coworkers. He gave you the ability to read, most of you, the ability to read, which is a miracle. Scientists are still trying to figure out how do, you, how do we go from taking some letters and forming them into words that make sense, that we all can understand. It's amazing. Think about all the blessings that God has given you. God loves you. If we understand that Jesus is the word and therefore words are personalized and understood through him, this makes sense why we can read. God loves to give you food and clothes and shelter. Most of all, God loves you because of this. He sent his son Jesus to die for your sins and for my sins on a cross. And he rose from the grave so that you might have life. And that is the best way and ultimate way that you know that God loves you. So I want to remind you that God loves you today. Temple, you were kept for Jesus Christ. Jesus would not go through all the pain and suffering he did on the cross and not keep you. He loves you that much. And it gets even better. Mercy and, and peace and love will be multiplied to you and I. God wants to bypass addition and get to multiplication tables of mercy and peace and love. Think about that. The multiplication tables of mercy, peace, and love. Maybe you need to level up your math today in relationship to God. Um, Ron prayed for our dear brother and pastor, Steve Limmer. And so uh, he's our math brain here in, in uh, in the church and, and has taught math for decades. So you're going to have to help me out, but here's some math questions today. I know it's, we're not in school, but two plus two is what? Okay, good. You're, you're with me here. Um, four plus four is what? Good. Eight plus eight is? Here's the tough one. 16 plus 16 is? Okay, so now we've left addition. Let's try some multiplication. Two times two is what? Four. And what about four times four? Sixteen. And here's a little tougher one. Sixteen times sixteen? It's getting quiet. <laughs> 256. Now, 256 times 256 is? Some of you are getting your calculators out right now. 65,536. Do you see how quickly multiplication takes off? And I want to tell you today that God's multiplication table of his mercy and peace and love are exponential for you. Maybe you've like today you walked in here or online and you feel like you've sinned too much. God has got more than enough mercy and peace and love to cover it for you. He doesn't run out. He starts with mercy and, and, and not getting what we deserve, which is punishment. We deserve punishment. But he doesn't just leave us at mercy so that sin is taken care of, that we walk away from the judgment seat, sin taken being care of. God also gives us peace. He's reconciling with us. He's come off the, the throne of judgment and he's giving us peace. He's reconciled with us. And then, added to that, God gives us his love. We are now friends and family with God the Father. 
So I want to say it again. You are loved. You are called. You are kept by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Daryl, come on. you got to give me that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, what about, though, some of you maybe have just a question right now. Some of you have a question wondering, well, what if this is all genetics and geography? Maybe you think it's because you were born into a Christian family or nation that you are a believer. That's how you're loved and called and kept. I was just talking to a young businesswoman um, and mother on a plane this week as I shared the gospel with her. And she said, what you're telling me about, I would love to do, but it's easier for you because you have a religious background. And it's hard to make time in the busyness of trying to, to, to get to work and take care of the kids to actually explore the truth of Jesus Christ. I reminded her this is the most important thing. We make time for things we really want to do. But I want to address this question. And in fact, Jude addresses this question in a very personal way. Some of you wonder if you were born into another religious family or another country, whether you would be a believer today, whether you'd be in church today. And I believe with all my heart that you would. Because God loves you, has called you, and kept for you. But we see this specifically in the life of Jude. Did you catch when I read the very first introduction of how Jude introduces himself? Look at carefully in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Notice this. Jude based his call to serve Jesus not on his brotherly relationship, but as on his salvation. Jude and his brother James refrained from calling themselves Jesus' brothers to avoid gaining recognition for that reason. Instead, both James and Jude placed themselves on the same level as all other believers. And by using both names, Jesus Christ, Jude stresses not only a biological but spiritual relationship to Jesus. See, Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. Now, don't you think if you were the half-brother of Jesus, like, Jesus is my brother. That's not how Jude starts it, though. He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, meaning one of the church leaders in Jerusalem, the church leader, James, and another half-brother of Jesus. Name-dropping was spiritual, not biological. Jesus saw Jesus... Jesus saw... um, or sorry, Jude saw Jesus first as Savior and Lord and not his biological brother. Now let's remember, though, that Jude initially rejected his half-brother Jesus. We, we know this. The Apostle John reports it this way. We find this in John chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers, that's Jesus' brothers, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. In fact, Jude and his brothers thought that their brother Jesus was crazy and were ready to haul him off to the equivalent of a mental institution after Jesus formally called his 12 apostles to start his great commission. Mark 3.21 records this. 
And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. That is what Jude originally thought of Jesus. So one would think that if there was ever a family that's ever existed who would follow Jesus, it would be his own biological family, don't you think? It wasn't like Jesus, in, in growing up, ever gave them cause to not follow him. He was perfect. He never sinned. And yet his family were rejecting him, as we just read. Think about how Jesus was the smartest kid in the class. Think about how Jesus knew a lot more than the rabbis. Think about how Jesus lived perfectly before his family. He may have done some unrecorded miracles for them, despite what one might read in the infancy gospels. The point is that you can be surrounded by Jesus and his followers and still reject him. And just because you grew up in a Christian family is no guarantee that you will follow Jesus. You have to personalize this for yourself today. Jude had to personalize it. And so I believe that you can come from a completely different country, surrounded by Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or animists or atheists, and you can still become a Christian. Maybe today, someone online, through this message or another gospel message, would come to faith in Christ. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save. So you can be at school that has forsaken God, and you can be a Christian. In fact, you can still be a strong Christian today. I want to encourage you in that. Why? Because of this truth. You are loved and called and kept by God. And Jude knew this firsthand. Now, some brothers, they feel like they're a slave to their older brother, right? They're always doing things for their older siblings. Jude saw himself truly as Jesus' slave and not in a derogatory way. He embraced it. Jude wanted to not only serve his brother, but follow him as Lord. And this is because the resurrected Jesus appeared to his brother James in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. James must have told Jude. Can you imagine? You, maybe you've lost touch with some family members, but then you hear about one of them dies. Wouldn't it change things for you if all of a sudden you hear they have risen from the grave? That's what happened for Jude. And he's like, I, I, I got to believe all that I heard from Jesus' own lips and from his followers. We can deduct all this because Jude was there at the birth of the church, which happened to be a prayer meeting. The emphasis on prayer is so important. Acts 1.14 describes this prayer encounter, the first prayer encounter of the church. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. These are all Jesus' followers. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his what? What are they doing? They're praying. They're at a prayer meeting. By the way, women have always been leaders of prayer in the church, right from the inception. Prayer acts as a deterrent to leaving the faith, even when you're disappointed with God's answers. 
praying together under the authority of God's word recalibrates your, your prayers to align with God's will. Community prayer staves off apostasy. This is why I tell you each week, the most important meeting, even more important than gathered here on Sunday mornings, is our prayer encounter. Because we pray together. And we pray through the scriptures. The first blockade to leaving the faith is believing that you are called, loved, and kept by God. And that's foundational. There'll be times that you'll be suffering so much, and these truths are the only thing that will keep you going. That you're loved. You're called. You're kept by God. And don't believe the TV preachers promising you health and wealth on this earth. They are shortchanging you. That's to come. That's in the new heavens and new earth. The idea that God must keep Christians safe clearly belongs to no tradition of early Christianity. They were on the run for their lives as they fled. And this is the thing I love. They, they, they valued life so that they, they didn't just want to die as a martyr. They actually wanted to, they were running for their lives, but as they're running, they're like, but follow Jesus. And you might be on the run for your life, but still follow Jesus because it's worth it. This is the truth. And because of that, the gospel spread. And it spread throughout the Mediterranean world, and it spread to this very day 2,000 years later. Amen? Amen. It has to be true. It has to be true. It's better to spend one time assisting the Almighty God in serving Him and building that second blockade for leave, for, from uh, leaving the faith. And that is this, simply as this. This is the second blockade. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. This is clearly stated by Jude when he pivots from talking about common salvation, which, by the way, he already did in verse 1, which is to be loved and called and kept by for God. And look at verse 3. This is what he says. Beloved, although as eager to write to you about our common salvation. He wanted to talk about the gospel. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What does this mean? Well, that appeal is to contend for the faith. And let's be clear. In contending for the faith, we're not to be contentious or quarrelsome. And I don't think we're to become overly defensive either. I love apologetics. But apologetics is really used by God to save anyone. Apologetics is a big fancy word. It means defending the faith. We are called to contend for the faith. I wonder if this is partly why Ravi Zacharias lost his way. In 2020, I was devastated to hear of Ravi's death because I learned so much from him in his public persona. I felt like he was one of the, he was one of the few gracious Christian celebrity leaders. I was even more devastated, though, to learn of Ravi's dark side that came out after he died. His horrific abuse and rape of multiple women was revealed. Maybe part of the problem is that Ravi was defending the faith and not contending for it. When one is contending, when one is always defending their faith, their hearts become hard and their dispositions become cynical. Does that describe you today? We need to have thick skin and tender hearts. As the late Pastor Warren Wearsby said, the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And when we are fighting, we can tell ourselves that we deserve a little pleasure. 
We're defending God. We have to defend God. We don't have to defend God. God will fight his own battles. This is the proverbial slippery slope when we think we have to defend God. Let's remember the battle belongs to the Lord. So what does it mean to contend for the faith? It means that we must focus on what we already know to be true, what we've believed. And this is what Jude means when he says, once for all delivered to the saints. See, by the time that Jude had written his letter, the faith had become beyond just the belief of just a few individuals. The faith had been passed on by the apostles. The doctrines that you and I hold dear were clear. The the core doctrines, they could not be changed. That Jesus truly was the Son of God, that he came to earth, that we must believe in him to be saved, and not in our own works, that it is by grace that we have been saved. These are the truths that the apostles passed on, along with Jesus will come back someday for us. He's risen from the grave, and he will come back. These truths are unchanging. Sometimes people ask me, have you, have you um, changed any of your beliefs? And I, I have to think about it, and I say this humbly, I have not changed my beliefs for 26 years or beyond the pastor. Not on the majors. The things I'm willing to die for, the inspiration and authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ, that Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Trinity, that we believe in one God and three persons, that salvation comes through grace alone, through faith alone, and that Jesus will come back someday. These have not changed for me in decades. In fact, they've only been reinforced. I believe they've even more as I studied God's Word. Is that true for you? In fact, none of the secondary doctrines or minors have changed for me. And I don't say that arrogantly because I am still growing. We just went through Job, and I learned so much through Job. I hope you did too. But the core convictions I'm holding fast to, God is sovereign. God is just. God does not change. He sent his son. He loves us. So friends, stick to the truths that were delivered to us and the rest of the saints. We do this as we read and study God's word every day. And I know that many of you are doing this. One of you texted me how much you're digging into and enjoying the book of Isaiah right now. I'm thrilled to hear this. I was thrilled to see how many of you have have scriptures to bring today. I I also talked to an 80-year-old a woman yesterday, and she told me that she reads six chapters a day in the Bible. Her daughter told me that she always has the Bible next to her. Now, I know this woman, and this woman just a, not too long ago didn't want anything to do with the church, didn't want anything to do with Jesus. She grew up in the church. She was a pastor's kid, and now she's come back, and she's contending for the faith. It's not too late to be drawn back to Jesus. See, contending for the faith is contagious. That's partly why we meet today. May our generation not fail to guard the truth and entrust it to our children. 
Jude didn't just preach about contending for the faith. His faith was contagious. Did you know that Jude's grandchildren were followers of their great uncle, Jesus Christ? According to the second century Jewish Christian historian, Hegesippus, Jude's grandsons were brought before Emperor Domitian in AD 96. And when the emperor saw their calloused hands and learned of their meager income, he despised them as inferior people and dismissed them. Sometimes it's said that that the faith is left in the third generation. It wasn't in Jude's case, and it doesn't have to be in yours. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but his biological family did not live large and in charge, and neither should we as his spiritual family. Instead, we must go on the offense and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is why, as much as it's hard to see our beloved Linda Kenyon leave, she's going to contend for the faith for the next generation. So contend for the faith, Linda. And Temple, contend for the faith. We must do this. We are loved and called and kept for Jesus Christ in part to do this for the next generation. Why do we need to contend for the faith? Well, we must have something to contend against. And that's what we get to in verse 4. Because there are false teachers and false followers of Jesus out there. And here, says this in verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 13 about how a farmer planted a field. And at night, his enemies came in and they planted some tares in that wheat field. Well, the farmhands the next day or soon after, they, they learned and discovered about these, these tares that had been sown into the soil. And they went to the, the farmer and said, what should we do? The farmer wisely said, leave them. Leave them to the harvest so that the wheat won't be damaged. Let's remember that we believers have been called and loved and kept for Jesus Christ. But some who are not of us will go from amongst us. We've seen this in churches across the world how up to a third have left the church during God's pandemic of purging and purifying his people. That's what's happened, beloved. The Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 2.19 that this has been true since the beginning of the church. The bullies and the saints have lived side by side until the bullies are exposed for who they truly are. We see this in 1 John 2.19. It says, actually it should be 1 John 2.19. Let me read it to you. They went out from this, from us, but they were not of us. For they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they are not all of us. So does this mean one can lose their faith? No. These apostates were in the church, but not of the church. An apostate's not a true believer who has abandoned his or her salvation. He or she is a person who has professed to accept the truth and trust the Savior and then turns from the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And Jude would not contradict what Peter wrote and what made it clear that apostates were not God's sheep, but were instead, and I have to say it straight up, pigs and dogs. 
Here's what we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness, righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment, delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Those are strong words. We need to heed them. This is why we can't just believe and contend for the faith, but we need to guard the faith. This is the third blockade to leaving the faith. Guard the grace of God's Son. Guard the grace of God's Son. Jude explains in verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And catch this, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The false teachers crept in unawares and slipped in secretly. How could, how could a false um, brethren get into the assembly of the saints? Well, simply, the soldiers were sleeping at the post. The false teachers taught that Christians should use their freedom to not honor God but to satisfy their sexual lust. They were teaching that God's grace was to pass, was, was a path to do whatever they wanted. This is not the message of grace. It would be good to be reminded of what the great theologian Augustine said in the fourth century. He said, People in the world are promiscuous with their beds and stingy with their money. Christians are stingy with their beds and promiscuous with their money. We are called to purity and generosity. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Now, I grew up fighting legalism in my own life. And I today want to declare, hi, my name's John. I'm a recovering legalist. <laughs> Thank you. Our church is a recovering legalistic church too. However, let's not swing the pendulum so far that we think that grace gives us license to, to abandon Jesus' commands. I'm deeply concerned that my generation and below, in an effort to throw themselves off of man-made rules, confuses them with God's rules, which we must obey, that are clearly found in Scripture. That perverts grace. In a weird way, it says, grace is no longer needed. We needed it for the cross and for our initial salvation, but we don't need it for today. We need future grace. We must proclaim and protect the truth for the next generation. However, we are not to protect or cover up our sins and wrongdoings. Covering up wrongs and doing wrong denies Jesus Christ. And this is the practice of denying Jesus Christ. Denying who we are and trying to distance ourselves will not work. Julian Lennon, remember that little five-year-old boy that I told you about? Well, he's growing up. In fact, he made headlines that he changed his name during COVID to no longer have his name be John Julian Lennon, but to be Julian John Lennon. He can no longer contend be known as the son John Lennon. There are people that sadly during COVID no longer want to be associated with Jesus. I hope that you're not one of them. It's a sad day when people deny that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's the 
their only master and Lord. Mormons and Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Beloved, do you? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and is our only Master and Lord? Jesus' brother Jude did and saw himself as Christ's servant. Do you? This is the good news, the gospel. Jesus is our only Master and Lord. He keeps us for himself and we cooperate with him in contending for our faith. And he's strong enough to carry us to heaven. The Beatles recommended, don't carry the world upon your shoulders. And that's true. That's good advice because somebody already has. And his name's Jesus. That's right. He's the Lord. It's not letting a little girl into your heart. It's letting the Lord into your heart. And so today, whether you have been a follower of Jesus Christ, the first time this, this message has become clear to you of this good news, today is the day to contend for the faith, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're loved and called and kept by, by him. Today, after we sing this song, if you would like to talk to one of the elders just about, there's this part of me that I'm starting to drift. Would you pray for me? Or maybe I, I'm not sure that I really am loved, called, and kept for by Jesus Christ, but I want to be. Would today be the day of salvation for you? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this small little book of Jude with a major impact in our life that I think is going to help our church to persevere, to keep climbing, to keep walking with you. Lord, I pray that you would remind us today who we are because of who we belong to, that's you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for rising from the grave. Thank you for keeping us forever and ever. Lord, would we contend for the faith? Would we not pervert the grace of Jesus Christ? Not, not add to it, not try to abuse it. Lord, would we just embrace it? And so, Lord, I just thank you for this message today. May it have great effect, great fruitfulness in my life and and everyone who hears it. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.